1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. Here to break down the Red system today, I'm joined by Justin Coleman, who did the Reds top 10 for us this year. Uh, Justin, the Reds are in an interesting place uh, after six straight losing seasons. We've seen... Patients start to wear out a little bit in regards to the rebuild. Uh, We've seen over the last year in particular a lot of moves made geared toward winning now. Uh, Trading two very highly regarded prospects, Jeter Downs and Josiah Gray, to the Dodgers for a package that was fronted by Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig as well as Alex Wood. Uh, We saw during the season they traded their top prospect, Taylor Trammell, as part of a three-team deal. Brought them back, Trevor Bauer. The saw season, the Reds went out, gave Mike Bustakas a four-year, $64 million deal, uh, signed a Japanese outfielder, Shogo Akiyama to a three-year deal. Really, the Reds have kind of taken some of their top prospects, traded them for veterans. They've allocated a lot more of their financial resources to veterans. It feels like even though the Reds are, in a way, still rebuilding, in the sense that they uh, keep having losing seasons and collecting some high picks, uh, it seems like they're kind of trying to get out of that rebuild. Uh, they're really trying to make moves to win now, and that has affected the quality of the farm system. But the point is to win games at the major league level.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think what you say there is very true. I think if you look at the farm system last year, you know, you talk about Nick Senzel was like the cherry on the top. Now he's graduated. They flipped two of their better prospects in uh, Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs. You talk about Taylor Trammell being moved. It's definitely left the top of the system pretty light. And I don't think it helped at all that these guys that are at the top, they didn't quite perform. Some of them have injury issues, such as Hunter Green. He's their number one guy. But it's a guy who's coming back from Tommy John, so that doesn't really reflect very well. Uh, Jonathan India hasn't really popped um, but Nick Lodolo was obviously a big, uh, big boost for them. Big surprise. He threw a lot of strikes. I think they were really impressed with him. So again, it's a system that I think is, is down because they have tried to push. They've tried to make these moves to become more relevant and to get guys that can win now, as you mentioned with those uh, acquisitions, to bring in big leaguers as opposed to saying, hey, we need to wait for these guys to try and uh, make it at the minor league level and eventually jump up to the big league. So, again, I think Cincinnati is trying to push the envelope a bit and and make sure that they're competitive heading into 2020.
1: And and it is understandable. Another trade they made for a veteran, obviously, was Sonny Gray last offseason. you look at the pitching staff, uh, they vaulted up. They were a top 10 pitching staff, at least wise, in the major leagues. Uh, you look at Sidney Gray, you look at Luis Castillo. They have some arms they can build around. Uh, you mentioned the young bats, you know, coming up, Nick Senzel being a top prospect. But we've also seen Eugenio you know, Suarez really explode. And you look at the Reds and you understand why they're trying to make moves to win now, independent of the fact that, hey, it's been six straight losing seasons and clearly patience is running out. When you look at the Reds' system now, I mean, it. it – this will be a bottom 10 farm system and likely a bottom five farm system when our organization talent rankings come out. But when you look at where the major league club is to you, does it feel like it evens out?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, I think with Cincinnati and I think with player development in general, you know, you're, you're getting lucky if you're hitting on at least a handful of the guys that you bring up. So you talk about that pitching staff anchored by Luis Castillo they were fortunate enough to bring in Sonny Gray. When you look at the major league staff and you look at even around at the different positions, Eugenio Suarez, Nixon, Zell, et cetera, you feel like they were in, a, in an area where, hey, look, we have to do this to, to make some kind of move to bring back value that at least is going to make us relevant. so that way we don't have to keep guessing down the road. It's really tough to kind of string together so many years where you bring up high-impact guys year after year after year and they all work out. So I can see their strategy from that standpoint. Um, They're in a really tough division. As you know, that that division can be quite difficult uh, with the Cubs and the Cardinals. Um, You know, so I think from from my vantage point, I do like the prospects and I do like developing guys. Conversely, I can understand Cincinnati saying, hey, look, you know, we have a guy like Sanzel, We have Suarez in the middle of the lineup. We've had some luck with the pitching staff. They've started to have a bit more luck in the bullpen. Uh, you know, Amir Garrett's a guy who really took off now uh, this past year with them. And so I think that there is understanding there that, hey, look, if you can get major league caliber guys that have some numbers on the back of the baseball card, a guy like Trevor Bauer, et cetera, these are guys that, you know, you can invest in and you can hope that they just push you a little bit further along down the road than having to wait and say, hey, look, let's flip the coin and hope that we can You know, develop these guys, you know, three, four years down the road and have to wait and keep the whole nucleus together, which, again, can be difficult, you know, from a financial standpoint, too. So I think, uh, you know, Cincinnati in that sense, I think, uh, you know, it makes sense for them to kind of at least go for it and and see what they can do, you know, see what kind of young talent they can bring back and that's going to affect them at the big league level.
1: Yeah, the Reds finished ninth in the majors in uh, ERA among their starting rotation last year. Their bullpen was 13th, still top half of baseball. So, And they accomplished that, obviously, in a very hitter-friendly park, and great American ballpark. So there's something to build with there at the major league level, and you understand why they're making some of these moves with the farm system because, while obviously, you want to have the major league uh, success. You do need to have guys who are able to come up and help reinforce and just provide that organizational depth. Right now, you hit on it a little earlier that a lot of their top prospects are guys with injury questions or performance questions. Hunter Green was uh, the top-ranked prospect in the 2017 draft class in the BA 500, number two overall pick, uh, considered one of the better right-handed pitching prospects to come out in some time, at least from the prep ranks. Threw very, very hard, as we see with a lot of guys who throw that hard that young. Uh, he ultimately tore his UCL and needed Tommy John surgery, missed all of 2019, going to miss a lot of 2020 as well. Where is Hunter Green right now just in the rehab process and has the future outlook dimmed
2: on him at all? Uh, well, again, I think he, you know, I think moving forward, he's definitely going to be building innings on the mound in 2020. You know, I don't think there has been any setback with him to this point in his Tommy John rehab. Um, I, don't, I, I don't necessarily think that the – The ceiling on him is kind of dimmed or the light has kind of been put out on him at all. I I don't think that necessarily. But I do say, though, that surrounding Cincinnati and and pitching in that ballpark is always a question. I think it's always difficult to forecast that. So when you bring that into question, you know, they're going to be very uh, judicial and cautious with him, moving him. There's no question. You know, obviously his draft pedigree will dictate that. You know, this is a guy that's got premium stuff. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to really wait him out and see kind of what way does he move forward. You know, obviously they hope that he fits the bill of a front end of the rotation guy for a very long time. That is their hope. That is their goal. Um, again, but I, I don't think they're going to actually push him or kind of force him into any role uh, until they kind of see, you know, when he gets out of the, the forest here of Tommy John, as you know. And that can kind of be a bumpy road at times. And so we'll see for a, for a young prep arm, you know, how, how that shakes out in the future.
1: Given his injury, was there mm-hmm.
2: any discussion
1: or any uh, evaluators either inside or outside the Reds organization mm-hmm. who thought that he wasn't the number one prospect? That maybe would be Jonathan India or uh, Nick Lodola, who is the seventh overall pick this year. Or even with the injury, based on your discussions, was it pretty slam-dunk Hunter Green as the number one prospect in this system?
2: There was plenty of people who thought he was uh, the number one guy in the system. Uh, you would get from time to time uh, other people who – you know, inside, even outside of the organization who did wonder, would it be, you know, Jonathan India, again, just because of his pedigree, the fact that he has taken the field, he's moving positively, as we said, he hasn't quite popped, you know, they think that there's still power to be developed there. And he's a guy that could potentially move around and play different positions uh, on the infield and even in the outfield. Um, And then again, you know, Nick Lodolo, he came on with such a burst here and he, you know, he was throwing a lot of strikes. Um, You know, they liked what they saw. But again, um, I don't know, does he exactly have the, quite, quite the ceiling that Hunter Green possesses? So I think that kind of left him off that number one discussion, uh, even though they are really impressed with what they've seen. So again, I think, depending upon who you ask, there were some people who definitely kind of questioned, was it India or Lodolo? Um, but a majority of them, I would say, settled on Hunter Green uh, pretty quickly.
1: Jonathan India is kind of an interesting case. He was the fifth overall pick two years ago out of Florida. He advanced to double A in his first full season. He did everything well, but he has yet to do anything really eye-popping, anything that says, oh yeah, this is why this guy was a top five pick in a a pretty solid draft. Uh, His career in the minors so far, 254 with a 369 on base percentage, 410 slugging percentage, you know, you kind of look at he's he's had basically just over a season's worth of plate appearances, 165 career games as opposed to 162. It's mm-hmm. essentially 254 yeah. with 17 homers and 67 RBIs and a 779 OPS. Nothing bad. He's played in some pitcher-friendly parks. That absolutely affects it, both of the Florida State League and mm-hmm. then, uh, the Southern League and Chattanooga. That league is mm-hmm. pitcher-friendly as well. Right. Um, but again, nothing's really popped, as you alluded to. What is the overall evaluations of Jonathan India and, and what is he in evaluators' eyes?
2: So I, I think right now, you know, I, I think internally, you know, Reds people believe that there is a lot, there's still more power, you know, to be untapped there. As you mentioned, he, he played in two uh, pitcher-friendly ballparks, you know, these are parks that are just difficult to kind of get the loft and get the numbers uh, off the bat. I think in terms of evaluators' opinions of him, Again, there is question as to what kind of impact you're talking about overall. Um, But again, it's, it's a lot of polish to his profile. He's a guy that can do a little bit of everything. He can move around, which I think is going to be advantageous to Cincinnati because obviously, you know, if you wanted to have him at third base, well, there's a Eugenio Suarez there. So this is a guy that you could potentially plug and play at second or third or left or right. They think he's athletic enough to hold down one of the corners if he needs to. You know, it is a hit over power profile. Uh, their people believe there's gonna be more power uh, to come along. Uh, I think out, outside evaluators are kind of questioning whether it's ever gonna be anything more than average. And as you said, it's not. he's, he's not a guy who's really developed uh, like a really strong carrying tool, You know, something that's double plus, that's really gonna bring him to the big leagues. If it's anything, it's gonna be versatility and the field to kind of do a little bit of everything. And he's obviously a very polished player, so they like that. And you know if that package kind of moves forward and the power trends a little more positive, then I think you're going to see India become an average big league player. Uh, you know I think if the power stays questionable, then I think you you wonder about uh, you know is this even a full time guy? You know is this a platoon guy? Um, is he athletic enough to really hold down the corners? And if so, um, you know does the power even pop in the future down the road? As you know, uh, you know Cincinnati that that ballpark is is pretty nice for hitters to hit in. So um, I think I think there's there's still questions surrounding him, but you know we'll have to see kind of where the power goes. But again, I think it's a, it's looking more and more like an average big league profile.
1: You know, look the one thing you have to give credit for, he's gotten on base, and that's obviously yeah. very important. If you can get on base, play around the diamond, someone will find a spot for you. It's just a matter right. of what that role is going to be, and I think that's Absolutely. coming in uh, coming into focus a little bit. Was he the clear number two? Because Nick Lodolo being the seventh overall pick, again, very, very small sample size, but uh, was pretty much considered the the top pitcher in last year's draft class, almost wire to wire, uh, was a stud in high school as well, was a high pick who didn't sign with the Pirates. He's never not been good that he goes out in his his, uh, pro debut and shows really well there. Was there any discussion or, or... people pushing for Lodolo over India at number two, or was India the clear two, Lodolo the clear three?
2: Uh, there was a lot of pushback. I think there was it was pretty 50-50. You know, I, I don't think India was a consensus number two. I wouldn't call him that. I think Lodolo really made a, a strong case for that. As you said, Lodolo's always been really good, and I think the control numbers really just stood out. In his small sample size, he just threw a ton of strikes. Great feel for a breaking ball. It looks like he has not only a high ceiling, but he's also a guy who has a very high floor as well, because of the control and you know the velocity and the frame. There's a lot to like there, I think, about Ladolo. Um, but again, you know, it, it was really, really close. It's not. It's not a guy where it's not a situation where India was that much better than him. Uh, really, you could flip flop those two, and you could be totally fine with this list as well.
1: We mentioned the Reds being probably a, a bottom ten farm system, which is kind of odd in the sense that. The top three we just talked about, uh, Lodolo, India, and Hunter Green, all mm-hmm. probably are three top 100 prospects. Mm-hmm. The red system really falls off is after those top three. And then to a degree, Tyler Stevenson has uh, had injuries first rounder in 2010. Mm-hmm. Actually had a very good year last year. Looked really good in the fall league as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Santeon has some top 100 pedigree. He really struggled Jose Garcia showed some things in the falling and, and is making some progress as a hitter. So you have three top 100 guys, four through through six, there's something there. It's not like there's nobody there. There's absolutely other systems. You look at four through six, and their four through six is a lot worse than this four through six. Right. It seems like at seven, it just goes off a cliff. And, and not to say that Lion Richardson and Stuart Fairchild and Mike Siani don't all have something that, you know, clearly makes them prospects of some value. Mm-hmm. But when you compare their 7 to 10 through almost any other organization, 7 to 10, it's pretty rough, at least from the outside looking in. Is that the same sense you got talking to evaluators outside the organization?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think after the, the number three spot, I think what happens is you get to a group of guys that either the athleticism hasn't translated fully or they're guys that have just had disappointing seasons and haven't quite broke out. You know, I think you mentioned, you know, Santion, that's a guy that has that pedigree. He has big stuff. Unfortunately, the the command has kind of came and gone on him. You know, he's really struggled with his control from time to time. Um, you know, Jose Garcia is a guy that uh, they were aggressive with. They obviously gave him a big signing bonus. That's a guy that, again, is it is the hit tool going to be there or not? You know, he's a defensive first profile. But as you said, though, the number seven spot, Lion Richardson, now all of a sudden you're talking about, all right, we're betting on like total athleticism here. You know, Lion Richardson was a two-way guy. Now he's focused on pitching. They're seeing some dividends there. But again, it is, you're betting more so on that. That's a risky profile coming out of high school, I think. Uh, the second rounder, you know, got a two-way guy. And now all of a sudden he's, he's focused on pitching. So we'll see how that works out for him. A Stuart Fairchild, uh, not a great upside there. You know, probably a second division type guy. And uh, Mike Ciani, very far away, prep kid, cold weather prep bat, uh, you know, really good defender, defense over, offense type of player, far away. Again, athleticism is what you're really hoping for there. And then Jameson Hanna. Jameson Hanna, probably not the highest ceiling either, a guy who, uh, you know, can do a little bit of everything. Uh, I know they were happy to get him in, in the trade um, this season. But again, as you said, though, that it's kind of once you get to that 6-7 spot, all of a sudden it's really you're betting on, uh, a lot of athleticism, and, and it's risky. I think that that part of the, the top 10 list for, for Cincinnati.
1: At the same time, because they've made so many additions to the major league level, I, I mean, you go back and you say, okay, well, if you add Taylor Trammell, Josiah Gray, Jared Downs to this list, all of a sudden that list looks a lot stronger, but they traded those guys for big league help. Some of those deals you know, worked out better than others. Obviously, uh, Matt Kemp did not uh, stay in Cincinnati for very long, and Yasiel Puig was traded at the deadline uh, to Cleveland. So, At the same time, though, making moves to improve the big league club, that is something prospects can and should be used for, especially when you have a a decent big league club. And there are pieces at the big league level. So even if, look, not all 10 of these guys are really going to impact, make an impact in Cincinnati, but if the top three do and someone else in the 5 to 10 range does and someone else in the 11 to 15 range does, that's okay. The Reds are not in a spot where they need an entire overhaul at the major league level. They have talent there and now they need to fill the gaps. And it does feel like there are enough guys here to fill in the gaps, even if it's not a great deep system.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's right. I think the top three guys, you know, you can really work with them and wait on them. And as you said, the big league club is such that you don't need all of these guys. You don't need eight out of the 10 to really hit You're not talking about a six or seven year, Uh, turnover here you know you're talking about hey look they think their window is now they've hit on some pitching they've acquired some pitching they've been pretty aggressive there is enough here where there's enough value where even at the you know the the trading deadline this coming season it is conceivable to see them dip into this prospect depth even more for a little bit of help here and there to kind of round round out what is a pretty uh, nice roster I think you would say on paper for Cincinnati uh, they don't have to hit on all these guys I think that's key you know as you said if you can take these guys and spin them for major league value now especially if they're at the back end of this list I think you do it I think those top three you kind of reserve for kind of a if it was a bigger trade but even so you know Hunter Green's upside. And Lodolo's upside, especially from the arm standpoint, is extremely high. I think India is probably closer to the big leagues just because of his um, pedigree and his polish. So I think that's a nice piece there for Cincinnati in the pretty near future. And then I think that the guys after that, like you said, you know, if you can spin them and get value back, you know, that's, that's not a bad plan either. You know, that's a benefit of, uh, a benefit of, of dipping into uh, the trade market and seeing seeing what it can bring back.
1: We mentioned the top three are the clear top three. And after that right. things get a little little sketchier, though four to six, it's it, safe to say that is the second tier four to six. So that those were the three guys that were gonna fill those spots.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, there's no question. I, I think um, you know, I think Stevenson's a guy that stands out. You know, he's he's one of the better, better catchers that they have, the best catcher that they have in the organization. Again, there's questions around about his mobility, but again, that's a guy that I think um, has a good shot at being a, a solid average big leaguer. Uh, Santion took steps backwards I mean the stuff is there but unfortunately um, kind of lost the plate a bit lost some aggression at times and I think uh, you know his profiles kind of walked its way back a small bit and then Jose Garcia. Jose Garcia is a guy who's defense first uh, a bit raw but the bat bat's coming around a bit you know it's an above average hit down the road. Uh, we'll see what the power looks like but uh, you know could be fun if he can, if he can tap into some more pop uh, that could be a guy that that um you know flies up to Cincinnati, you know, sooner rather than later.
1: So given those six were pretty much going to be on the top ten in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Seven through ten was a little more fluid. Mm-hmm. How many other guys were at the mix to fit in the seven to ten range?
2: Uh there was a few. Uh there was there was definitely a couple other guys. Um, you know, some position guys from the draft. Uh, you know, Reese Hines was in that group. Tyler Callahan was definitely in that group, no question. I think those were kind of the two big guys that I think Kind of miss this, miss the back the back end of this list. Um, Again, you know it's tough because they're so similar in some ways. You know it's really you know you're betting on athleticism. Um, There's not maybe one great carrying tool for this seven to ten group at the moment. Whereas you know with Reese Hines, uh, you know didn't didn't really uh, get his feet wet exactly at the minor league level this year. And Tyler Callahan hit well, but. Uh, you know, I had to leave them off this list. I think uh, these guys are a little bit further ahead in their development, so I think that kind of pushed those two, those two back off this list. So.
1: Justin, I think the real question Reds fans want to know the answer yeah. to is how much longer until this team is competitive again? We mentioned they've had six straight losing seasons. Prior to that, they made the playoffs three out of four years. Uh, obviously, we're never able to advance uh, to the World Series or anything like that. But for a franchise that had had some late years, getting to the playoffs three times in four years was, was a big success for them what are the odds this team is competitive again in 2020 or are they really looking more at 2021, 2022? How do you assess them and their playoff hopes?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. <clears throat> I don't blame the Reds fans for wanting to know that, uh, especially how the team has struggled. Um, look, I think with the moves that they've made, I think the franchise really wants to be competitive this year and even in 2021. Um, I don't think they're going to be shy about making moves uh, this coming year, especially when it comes to the trade deadline, if they think they're in it at the halfway marker. Um, you know. Again, now the question becomes, do you get to a point where you have to start flipping big leaguers in addition to dipping into this prospect pool that you do have, the limited value that you do have here? Um, I know that uh, they're pitching. They're really excited about the pitching. I think the pitching has definitely taken a step forward. They're really pleased with that. Um, it would, I think it would really behoove them if a guy like Tony Santion kind of got back on track. That's a guy that could get to the big league sooner rather than later and really help them out. Um, but again, as far as Cincinnati goes, now that they've made these moves, I don't think there's a method for them to really back away and to kind of say, Hey, look, let's wait a couple of years. I think they need to go in now. I think they've got to make these moves now, spend while they can. They obviously brought in um, Mustakis, as you mentioned earlier, that was a big move. Um, so again, Wade, I Wade
1: Miley as well was
2: it? Wade, Wade Miley as well. And I think that since, since these moves have been made and the money has been spent, I think that's really giving Reds fans and should give Reds fans hope that you know this year they're really going to push try to be as competitive as possible and even continue that into 2021 uh, i don't see why not i don't think there's a way for them to back away now not with the way that the farm system is and not with the way that that, that young pitching staff is and the way that they've progressed you know i think that those are all positive signs and so we'll see and we'll see what happens
1: the Reds did take a step forward last year, uh, won eight more games, did not finish in last place for the first time since uh, 2014, so took a baby step forward. Now they're going to try and take a much larger leap forward. Uh, the Cardinals are the defending champs. The Cubs were always loaded, although they might move Chris Bryant. We have to see how that plays out, but either way, it'll be a tough road, but there is talent there, and you understand what the Reds are doing, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Justin, thank you so much for joining us for breaking down the Red system today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate your time. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Justin Coleman, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody.